So, so could you um, could you locate Chad on a map? If if the names of the African countries weren't weren't listed on the map, do you think you could find Chad? Some of you are like, I thought Chad was a guy I went to high school with, right? Right. So there is this place called Chad, and it's a country in the continent of Africa, and I think it's kind of towards the center, and it's landlocked, right in the middle. Okay, good. I looked it up on Google before I came here today. But we've asked Rich if he would open the Word of God to us. Would, we, would you pray with me uh, for Rich as he comes to share with us? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Rich and Ann could be with us, and we could just learn a little bit about what you're doing in their life and ministry. Thank you that Rich has said yes to opening up the Word to us this morning. I pray, Father, that we would have ears to hear, hearts that are listening, that we'd be hungry, uh, as we just sang, that the Holy Spirit would make us hunger for your Word. Father, uh, would you do that? We pray it in the name of Jesus. We pray for uh, peace and joy for Rich as he shares with us, and, and that he would uh, just know that he's at home with family here. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Rich. Well, as I said earlier, it's just an absolute joy for Ann and, Ann and uh, me to be here today. We are thrilled to be able to finally meet you. And uh, Pastor Matt, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share the word this morning as well. So yeah, Chad is actually really not that hard to find if you just draw a line from the very furthest north to the furthest south points in Africa, furthest east and west points. Where they cross is Chad. In fact, it's almost exactly where we live in the capital. The heart, we like to call it the heart of Africa, because so, it's right smack in the middle, So even though the heart's actually slightly to the side. But anyway, um, yeah, God, God has a, um, a special place in his heart for Chad. We believe that very, very much, as he does for all lands and all peoples. And so it's been a joy to be there for... Uh, 29 years now working alongside of the church and seeking to get the word out. We have, um, as a part of, part of my job as ministry area leader is to uh, help maintain vision and project vision and, and strategy across the field. So a few years ago, we went through a process of looking at our vision again and just coming up with a, a renewed, it wasn't totally new, but renewed uh, vision statement. And uh, it goes something like this. It is actually a little bit long, and so we can give a brief version of it too. But we say, longing for the light of the good news to dispel darkness in all corners of the land, Team and Chad will work hand in hand with national and expatriate believers to establish enduring, reproducing, indigenous communities of what? Incarnational, light-bearing disciples, wherever darkness remains. So in, in, in brief, we want to take the light of Jesus wherever darkness is still in Chad, in order to produce light-bearing disciples of Jesus. And uh, that's what it's about, what we're doing in Chad. And uh, it's a country with, with huge opportunities, many, many, many dark corners, from the very dark corners of a city like where we live now in Ajamana with the, with the streets that Anne works in there, to the, the outlying regions where there's Muslim groups, dozens and dozens of Muslim people groups who still have no not even one witness in their midst yet, one Christian who lives or comes from their group. And, uh, and yet, and then the other hand, in the southern tribes, non-Muslim people groups, thousands and thousands of people who've come to the light, who've come to Christ, and now face the battle of how, what it means to grow that light and not get sucked into worldly ideas and other things. So it's a huge challenge. 
to do that. So we want to bring the light throughout the whole country. Light is a very, very important uh, element. I mean, you look at, without light, we just can't survive. Um, when I was beginning to put this message together, and it just struck me um, that, G, uh, that God, when he created the whole world, spent two whole days creating light, working on light. Two whole days working on just the question of light. Genesis 1, 1 to 5 tells us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. You couldn't see anything. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Day one now. God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness... And, there was even, and, the, and the God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Three days later, day four, God said, this is verses 14 to 19, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Now, I don't understand how there was light, but there was now lights. I don't understand how God did that or how that all worked, but God knew what he was doing. Now he's actually determining when the lights are going to shine and how they're going to shine and he, and he said, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, that's the moon, and then the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. God saw that all that he did in the creation of light was good because without light, he knew that we could not have life. And so the light and the life are absolutely inseparable. Light is an amazing thing. Who doesn't love or enjoy? I mean, this morning when you got up and got outside and the sun is shining brilliantly, it's a little chilly, but just gorgeous to be out there in the colors, in the trees. Without light, we couldn't enjoy any of that. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And if somebody doesn't enjoy the light, doesn't like it, it's usually because there's something wrong. They got a headache, a migraine, or perhaps sensitivity in their eyes, or else perhaps they got sensitivity on their skin. There's something that's just not quite working right when we don't like light and don't enjoy it to its fullest extent. Light has numerous critical functions in the world. Uh, here are just a few of them. Photosynthesis, for all you biologists out there. I'm not going to try to explain it, but it's that simple process of changing the chloroform in, in leaves, I guess, into some kind of a form that feeds your, your plants, and then the plants get eaten by insects, or animals, and animals eat the insects, and on and on it goes, and it brings life to the whole planet because light does that job of photosynthesis in plants. That's the very layman's version of what goes on there. So vitamin D synthesis, this is for you doctors and nurses out there, our bodies need vitamin D, and the sun is what causes your body to create, uh, light causes your body to create vitamin D. You need vitamin D to get calcium to absorb in your bones. So... Some of us out here have to take extra vitamin D because we don't have enough of it and our bones are weak or take extra calcium. So that's all from light. Think about it. Our vision, if there's no light, there's no sight. Plain and simple. And uh, light is a major informer of our brains. As we look around and we watch things, we look at things. As I look out there, I can see people's expressions. I can see uh, what's, you know, just how you're feeling perhaps. If I was to look closely, you could look at the sun. Everything around you, it informs our brains. Blind people have an amazing capacity to compensate for that, but they can never totally compensate because they're always going to miss something that we who have sight are able to see. Think about the color, all the leaves today out there, you know. Uh, color, and it contributes to the beauty of the world. Without light, 
<laughs> there's just no color. The darkness uh, it just covers it all up. It's no, no light, no color, so we don't have that beauty. Our body clocks depend on the light cycle. Sun goes up, sun goes down. I know we get tired, we go to sleep, and up it goes, and down it goes. Every day our body depends on that, and that's what keeps us strong and healthy because we're able to rest and then we're able to work. The whole cycle of the earth with evaporation, light, brings the sun, causes the water to evaporate, causes the, cycle, the, moon, the clouds to start, and then the whole cycle of rain and, and streams and rivers in the ocean, and that whole cycle that, causes, uh, that brings uh, water to the ground to water our plants and to give us water to drink is all caused by the sun. The weather and everything is caused by the circulation, by the movement of the sun, the whole cycles on the earth. And men over the years have learned how to harness the power of light. Uh, from the very earliest days, just carrying a burning torch would give us light to show us where to go at nighttime. And uh, all the way up to the discovery of the light bulb. And then nowadays you've got UV light they use for different things. Solar panels are all over the place that capture the light and turn it back into energy that we can use later on. Spectroscopes for doing different kinds of tests. Lasers for cutting things. Uh, fiber optics for passing information. And on and on it goes. It's all dependent upon light. So light is an amazing, an amazing thing. So it's no wonder that because of the importance and the power of light and the extreme contrast between light and dark, um, that dark, light and darkness have become the primary metaphor in the spiritual realm of separating between good and evil, uh, between right and wrong, between what is constructive and what is destructive, between God, between God and his archenemy, Satan. They have the light and the dark contrast going on all the time. Throughout the scriptures, you'll find light and dark images being, being cast throughout that. The importance of spiritual light, then, is, is of equal or even greater value than physical light. Just as we've seen that um, without physical light, you cannot have life. In the same way, we cannot have life in our souls without spiritual light. And so... We want to look at that spiritual light aspect of things a bit today and, and uh, see how important it is. Without spiritual light in our lives, men wither up. They become angry. They become resentful. They become hateful. They become lonely. They get sick, and eventually they'll die because of a lack of spiritual light. So, and, and men without Christ, because we're born in sin, because we're born with darkness in our souls, we sense a darkness in our souls until they find Jesus. There's something missing. There's a gap. There's a... Yeah, and so men, it's understandable why men and women will look for light in different ways. You have these, these movements to look inside yourself and discover the light within you and these meditation movements to try to at least find some way to make a sense out of what we're doing. And um, uh, they have other futile pursuits because if they can't find light, they find ways of drowning out the pain and the darkness. And so people turn to substance abuse. They turn to sexual gratification. They turn to busyness or pleasures or riches or other things to compensate for the darkness that they can't find a way of getting around or overcoming. Others just give up and embrace the darkness and go into all kinds of other very, very deep and, and desperately evil spiritual things as well. So what is spiritual light? Very simply put, what is spiritual light? Um, I just like to call it the active presence of the living God in our lives. Is when God is actively present in our lives, that's what brings us light. Think about the day that the lights went out. God created the heavens and earth. He placed, the, he placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And uh, as we read the Word of God, we see that it was God's habit to walk with God, Adam and Eve every day. 
he would meet them in the, in the, in the later part of the day, it appears, and, uh, and he would talk with them, and they, they would have this communion, this fellowship going on. And then along comes the enemy, Satan, and he tempts them, and they disobey what God told them not, uh, what God told them not to do. And as, as a result of that now, darkness falls on them. And we read in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 11, after they had sinned, uh, they now realized that they had disobeyed God and they were afraid. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's where we get um, the, uh, uh, the reality that God did come and walk with them and talk with them daily. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I have commanded you not to eat? And so when they disobeyed God, darkness fell on them, spiritual darkness, because now they were separated from God. They could no longer actively enjoy the presence of the living God as they had, and they fell into deep spiritual darkness whose ultimate result, God said, would be spiritual death. Spiritual death being separation forever from the living God. And so God drove man out of, the, out of the garden, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard. What, did, what were they guarding? They were guarding the way to the tree because without light in their hearts, they cannot have light. And if they had had access to to eternal physical life without having God present in their life, it would have been a living eternal hell for them. And so God says, you cannot have that life until your relationship with me somehow is going to get restored. And so we would think there that in the Garden of Eden, we are left now with desperate, we were, we're left with a desperate situation and desperate hopelessness, separated from ever, forever from the life giver, their light, and death now becoming inevitable. But when you read closely, we we're talking about this today in our Sunday school class, When you read the scriptures very closely, you see that from that very, very point on throughout scripture, God is giving rays of hope down through through history of how he is going to send a savior, the light of the world who's going to come and change everything and restore our relationship to God. And so the rest of the whole Bible from Genesis 3 onwards is that story of redemption, that story of bringing light back into our hearts and our souls. And so God has worked since then to reconcile mankind to himself through the light of life, through the promised Savior who would come to bring his light and his hope and his life and forgiveness into our hearts. If you, uh, you, we could spend hours just looking through the scriptures that all these, we did 45 minutes this morning doing some of that in Sunday school class, talking about the different things that God has put into the word that God has done through history to show men that he's, he's got a path, he's got a plan, he's got a hope for us, a promise for us that the Savior is going to come. And there's rays of light and hope that shine down through history. It started with God's kindness and promising that one day, when he was cursing Satan for his evil, for his deception, and the way he, has, the way he uh, tricked Adam and Eve, he cursed Satan. And he said that someday, the, the seed of the woman is going to come and he's going to crush your head. You'll bite his heel, yes, but he will crush your head. In other words, God says, I have a plan that's going to defeat you. There's going to be a Savior who comes. And then it carries on through the Scriptures, and you see the whole sacrificial system. Right there with Adam and Eve, what did God do? Because they recognized their nakedness. The nakedness was a symbol of their sin. And God killed. They tried to cover it up with leaves. It was a hopeless effort. Those would wither away and crinkle up and die within days. You know, God 
God killed an animal. Instead of destroying them right now, God killed them an animal, took the skins off that animal and made clothes for them and covered them with that skin to cover the shame of their sinfulness. And that was the beginning of the whole sacrificial system as you go through the Old Testament and see that God teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so God set that system in place until one day Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, would come and would take our place and would take our sin and our shame and our darkness upon himself. And so we see that throughout the scriptures, there's the, the whole scriptures are riddled with references to light and to darkness as a spiritual metaphor of what uh, has happened from that day on until, until now. Well, thank God that the day the lights went out, that one day the lights would come back on. And so the day that the light broke through again into this world, in Luke chapter 1, verse 76 to 79, we read Zechariah, who was one of the priests working in the temple. Um, and he went into the temple one day to do his normal duty of burning incense. It was his turn to go in and do that. And, and he was in the temple, and, a, and an angel appeared to him and told him that his wife had never had a child, and she was well beyond childbearing years was going to have a son, and they should call his name John. Well, he didn't believe him, and so the angel said, well, just to prove it to you, you're not going to be able to talk until your son's born. And so now, nine months later, here's Zechariah at the naming ceremony for their son, and he says, and he finally is able to speak, he says, his name is John, and he starts to prophesy about John and what John is going to do, why this child is so special. And he says, you child, looking at John there, who we know is John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zachariah says, you, John, are going to be the forerunner, the one who goes before the light of the world who's going to come and shed light into our dark, dark world, spiritual light, and bring us hope once again. And so when you read in John chapter 1, the first 14 verses of John chapter 1, John describes Jesus as the light. And he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. By the way, this is not John the Baptist who wrote this. This is John the, the, uh, the Apostle. And uh, he's writing this about John the Baptist and about Jesus. He says, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I want you to remember that phrase, because we're going to get back to that in, in a few minutes. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, John carries on, and he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And that's John the Baptist now. He came as a witness to bear witness about that light that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but came to bear, to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Remember that phrase as well. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, the light, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Restoring that relationship that was broken back in the Garden of Eden can be restored through Jesus the light. And so, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh, the Word Jesus became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Himself, as He continued His preaching ministry, and after He was baptized by John the Baptist, refers to Himself as the light of the world. He says in John chapter 8, verse 12, He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of what? The light of life. And he carries on and he says in chapter 9, verse 5 of John, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Uh, that little phrase, as long as I'm in the world, caught my attention as well because, okay, as long as, I mean, he's already telling them there's something's going to change here soon. I'm not going to be here with you forever, but as long as I'm here, I am the light of the world. Well, what's going to happen after you leave, Jesus? Who's going to be the light of the world after you leave? So Jesus came into the world to be the light and to restore that relationship with God. But men have resisted the light and rejected the truth, preferring the darkness to light. From before Jesus came, when Jesus came, and after Jesus came, men continued to resist the light. They preferred to walk in the dark, to walk in the, in the dark, and the, they, they preferred not to walk, excuse me, in the presence of their creator God. They preferred to walk in their own darkness. Jesus, the word, the light, the truth was rejected by his own as we saw in John chapter 1. He came to his own, but they did not receive him. They didn't even know who he was. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he says, in their case, speaking about those who are still in, in darkness, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're blinded. Satan continues to keep them in darkness. He will not let them see the light unless the Holy Spirit breaks through. We're talking about that in Sunday school class this morning too. Unless the Holy Spirit breaks through and opens our eyes to see the light, we cannot see that light. And so, we're, so men are blinded. We're blinded by our sin, our own darkness. John 3, 18 to 21. Jesus, as he was preaching, he says, um, excuse me, it wasn't actually Jesus who was preaching here, but it was John talking about Jesus who had been preaching. Whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, is not, contempt, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Excuse me, these are, these are Jesus' words. Sorry, they are his words here. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. People who don't come to the light, they don't come to light because they've been condemned already. Uh, in Chad, it's, we don't always have the cleanest of conditions in places where we have to go sometimes. And uh, we use outhouses a lot when you're out in the bush visiting around. And if you go into an outhouse at nighttime and then you turn on your light, you see cockroaches just go, just scatter like that all over the place because they hate the light. Cockroaches do not, they like to, to be in very dark, somber places. As soon as the light shines, they scatter and they go hide somewhere else. And it's just a classic picture of what men do when the light of the gospel shines into their lives. Normally, they will run from it and hide because they're blinded. They can't stand that brightness. It exposes, as, John, as Jesus said here, it exposes their sinfulness. And they don't like to be reminded that they're sinners. They don't like to be told that. Don't we see that going on around us all the time in the world right now? Why do we hear so much pushback when any, anything truthful is said. There's pushback, pushback, pushback. You can't tell me what's wrong. You can't tell me what sin is. You can't tell me because people do not want to be told 
that they're in the darkness and that they are blind. Men tried to snuff out this light, Jesus, by crucifying him on the cross. But because there was no darkness in Jesus, though he bore our own sin, our own darkness in his body on that cross, death could not hold him. Hell could not overcome. The prince of darkness became powerless and the light of life defeated Satan. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. Jesus took our own sin, our own darkness in himself, but because he himself was still light, he was not able to be held. This battle that rages, uh, this battle that has raged on since the day of Adam and Eve continues to rage on even today in our souls. It rages on in this world around us. And dear friends, whatever darkness you may be facing in your souls today, and I don't know all your situations, but you know where you are, you know what's going on in your heart and your life, in the world around you today, whatever darkness you're facing today in your life, the answer is to come to Jesus. Because Jesus is the light. He is the way and the truth and the life. There is no other way but through Jesus. Jesus can shed light on that darkest part of your life and he can bring healing through that light into your life. Anne's working with these ladies there who come from very, very dark, dark situations in their lives. And when they come to see what Jesus has done for them and Jesus' love and his light starts to wash over them and they go down and visit those very difficult places in their lives where things have happened that are almost unmentionable, hard to speak of, God, through Jesus, brings light and healing to them because Jesus is light and without that light you cannot have life. So if you're facing some darkness in your life, perhaps you've never come to Jesus, never ever put your faith in him and trusted him to bring forgiveness for your sins because he died for it on the cross. If you haven't trusted him, today's the day to do that and he will bring light into your life and begin that process of healing and regeneration and renewing in your heart and your life. Victory is ours and can be yours through the cross. So for those of us who have the joy, the blessing, the privilege of now being able to walk in the light of Jesus day by day. What is that to us now? We, we read up earlier, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, Jesus has a commission for us. And he's passed that on to us. He says, um, he says uh, that um, in, in uh, where is it? Verse, John chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, he says, you are the light of the world. John 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives a light to all the house. So you now are the light of the world. So Jesus is saying those of us who follow him, when he's on now, while he is still the ultimate light in this world, he's given us that task of shining his light, his love in us to the world around us. Because people in this world cannot see Jesus face to face physically like he did for those 33 years he walked on this earth. We are now his ambassadors, his, light, his lighthouses shining in this way. And we're not to hide that under, under a basket. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I, uh, we, heard, we learned just recently that um, when you go into a, a brand new area where people have never heard the gospel, or when you go into a place where the gospel has been maybe for years, but they've become inoculated, like in Europe, to the gospel. It takes 15 or 16 years of hard slogging out work before you might start to see some of those first little sprouts of response coming up out of that hardened soil. 
about 15 or 16 years ago, a team started a ministry in the southeast of Chad in, in a town called Amtiman and uh, began shining the light of the Lord Jesus through various things, helping people find glasses so they could read, doing, helping them to figure out how to do their agricultural a bit better. Eventually, it led into helping them to find water so they, can find, they have waters in their villages and, uh, and then into some health work and all kinds of things. But through it all, constantly finding opportunities to build relationships with people, to sit down and drink tea with them and talk and talk and share the good news of Jesus whenever opportunity came up. For 15, 16 years, we've had a team down there doing that. We've paid a price. Uh, three of our missionaries died in an accident as they were serving there in that part of the country back in 2008. And then just two years ago, a Chadian missionary who was working with us as a part of that team also died in another accident. And so we've had four people in that whole process who haven't seen, haven't had, didn't have the opportunity to see much fruit coming yet from that. Although our Chadian missionary, actually, who passed away just two years ago, was, was the, the first one to have somebody actually give their heart to Jesus through that ministry there a few years before he passed away. So he was a great joy of that. But now we see, 15, 16 years later, we see Little Sprout's coming up, and there's a family in the town of Amtiman um, that has three sisters. They're called, we call them, they're not really named that, Sally, Allie, and Callie. Uh, you can tell that's not their real names. Um, they're, they're, Muslim, they're Muslim ladies. One of the ladies, Sally, the oldest of the sisters, who's a widow, she lives with her uncle. Um, she, um, she has come to the Lord, so she's no longer a, a Muslim. She has put her faith and trust in Jesus. And uh, through the testimony of the missionaries over the years who just were feeding her the word of God and the hunger was there and she put her trust in Jesus. After she did that, a little ways along down the line, Jesus appeared to her in a vision and said to her, Sally, I want you to tell people about me. Because to that point, she hadn't come out publicly to talk about her faith. And she said, okay. And she started now declaring her faith publicly to people around her and talking about Jesus and telling them what he'd done for her. Her uncle, who was a very well-known man in town, a very wealthy man in town, was just, was just, he was, uh, what do you say, he was beside himself, extremely angry with her for humbling, for humiliating him and for, for following Jesus and began to threaten her, began to beat her children, began to deprive them of food, began to do all kinds of really horrible things to her. Along the line, Jesus appeared to Sally again and she, he said, Sally, there are others who still want to hear, who want to hear about Jesus. You keep talking. You keep telling people about me. Okay, I'll keep telling. And she told her uncle, I can't not talk about Jesus because Jesus told me to tell people about him. And so she keeps talking and he keeps on sharing. One day, the uncle threw cold water on her and his arm swelled up as soon as he did that. And he, he accuses her of, of, uh, of witchcraft. She says, I didn't do that, but I'll pray in Jesus' name for that to get healed and you'll be good. He's not having that. Don't you pray for me in Jesus' name. He threw cold water on her a second time, and the other arm swelled up. So now he's got two swollen arms and a hard heart. And uh, God is working on this man that, God, that he will see the light. The last thing that we heard about him a few weeks ago, he threatened Sally and said, if you do not recant and just turn away from Jesus, I'm going to burn your house down on your head tonight. So the word went out. Somehow the word got back to our missionaries. The word went out by Internet. Thank the Lord for Internet. All around the world, and people are praying all around the world for Sally that night. She came to the missionaries the next day and said, you know, the most amazing thing happened last night. She said, my uncle came and sat down with me and talked to me peacefully. He didn't, make a, he didn't come to the Lord, no, far from that yet, but he talked to me peacefully. And he said to me, Sally, 
just move out of my house, move out of my yard, move out of my compound, go live somewhere else and leave me alone. And, uh, which was a far cry from I'm burning your house down on your head tonight. And God is at work in that man's heart. And Sally has a, burning, has a bright, shiny testimony. Her light is shining throughout that town. Her sister, Allie, has not, uh, has not yet come out into the open with her faith in the sense of her uncle doesn't know that she's a believer yet. But there's lots of people around her, the ladies particularly, who know that Allie is also a believer. She has put her faith and trust in Jesus. And they see her life has changed. Her light is shining. And so they are curious. They're interested. They want to find out what this is about. They go to Allie to ask questions, not to Sally, because Sally's got a big red X painted on her back. If they go to her, everybody knows they're going to ask about Jesus. So they go to Allie, and Allie's now having opportunities to talk to ladies about Jesus and to tell them about his saving grace. Callie has not yet come to the Lord, but God is working on her, and he will. One of the brothers has been asking questions. The last question I heard he asked, he finally got up courage to start coming to see some of the missionaries at nighttime, Nicodemus style. And uh, the last question I heard he asked was, what do I need to do to be saved? Another brother went to Benin and, uh, to study in Benin. And when he was there, he met some Christians. And they shared the gospel with him. He came to the Lord, and now, I believe, is back in the village. So God is working. After 15, 16 years, the light is starting to shine brighter and brighter in that village and it's just so encouraging for us to see that God is beginning to call out from amongst those people in Umtiman, 99.999% Muslim, a people for his name, a light that's going to shine there. And, uh, and there's nothing that's going to be able to put that light out. Even if the uncle did kill Sally, her light would still shine because people have seen their testimony and they've seen what's been going on. No one can put out the God's light. When you think about that, light and darkness... Um, Darkness can't put light out. It's, it's impossible for darkness to put light out because as soon as the light comes, it's there. And the only way for the light, not to, for the light to be overcome by the gar- darkness, if you want to say that, is to take the, take the light away. But as soon as the light is there, and as long as it's there, it continues to shine and the darkness is being affected by that light. It cannot snuff it out in and of itself. And so the important thing about light and darkness is that we maintain our lights and that we continue to keep our light shining brightly. And so that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, uh, still in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, no one after lighting the lamp puts it in a cellar under a basket but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye, he says, is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. So he's talking about our physical eyes. As long as they're good, we can enjoy the benefits of being able to see, of good sight. But if something happens, you start to get a cataract, or other things start to happen to your eyes, the light starts to go out and you don't, have the blessings of that light in your, in your body. He says, therefore, in the spiritual application, be careful, lest the light in you, your spiritual light in you, become dark, be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. What Jesus is saying is, we've got to take care of our lights. We've got to make sure our lamps are clean, that they're shining brightly, because that's the way people will see him and know him. And this is our mandate as followers of Jesus, to be shining lights, bright lights, wherever we are. We used to use, uh, I mean, people still use kerosene lamps a lot in Chad, and even we did when we were out in the bush before we had a lot of solar panels and things like that. And uh, a kerosene lamp, it's got the glass lantern around it, and you've got kerosene burning and a wick. You've got to keep those things very clean, otherwise the, 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 uh, the glass gets all um, dirty with smoke and soot, and it becomes dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And so there's three things you need to do to keep your light shining bright. You've got to have good fuel. Uh, if you get bad, a bad batch of kerosene, it's going to burn very, very 
black and soot up very quickly. You've got to keep the wick trimmed really nicely so that your flame burns evenly. And then you've got to keep your glass clean. Otherwise, the light's not going to get out. And it's, and it's just the same thing in our own Christian lives. If we're going to be a shining light for Jesus, what kind of fuel do we put into our hearts every day? What are we feeding ourselves? Because if we feed ourselves a bunch of junk, it's going to soot up our light in no time flat. But if we're feeding ourselves on the Word of God, then that light will shine brighter and brighter and brighter. We've got to keep the, wing, the wick trimmed, right? We've got to make sure that we're keeping a balanced life, that we're dealing with sin in our lives, keep that glass clean. When things happen, we confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's what we do, keeping that light shining brightly for Jesus. Our lives do matter, and they will make a difference. Darkness cannot overcome light, but light will continue to shine in darkness as long as it's there. Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. When we live righteous lives before God, it becomes like a brighter and brighter light. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They cannot see because they're blinded. But the more light we shine, the better opportunity they will have to see what it is that they're tripping over and stumbling over. Psalm 119, 105, and 130 says, Your word is a light to my feet, and a light is, as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So let's give our lamps good fuel day by day. Let's keep them clean through confessing our sins through keeping a short account between us and God, between us and our fellow uh, Christians, between us and our family members and those who work with us. Whether it be in Chad, whether it be right here in Lance or the whole community around here, we are called to be shining lights for Jesus and to let his love and his truth and his uh, light to shine in us and through us to others around us. It's not our choice as Christians. We don't have a choice on this. If we're followers of Jesus, his light is in us, it's our mandate. We are obliged to do this. And so let's do it well. Let's let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Light and life are inseparable. And so let's, uh, let's pray that God, will, that God will help us to be good lights in this community. And for those here who have never, who perhaps are struggling with darkness in their lives, don't run away from Jesus. Don't be like a cockroach and run away. Run to the light because it's the light that will show you what's going on in your heart and your life and will bring healing to your heart and your life today.